Welcome to Courage in Action. We are a sisterhood of women empowering women to be everything we are meant to be. I'm your host, Naluka Kotagata, and it is my privilege to join your life journey as we connect with some extraordinary, triumphant, and beautifully imperfect women through this podcast. Together, we hope to inspire you to take action towards your life goals, one courageous step at a time. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Courage in Action. Have you ever wanted something and been unsure about how to get it or how to ask for it? Be it personal or professional, many women find it hard to ask for what we want, what we need, or for what we are worth. Well, our guest today says no more to that. Fotini Economopolis has been known as the negotiator since she was a child. And having fought some tough battles as a corporate professional and as an entrepreneur, she is now a speaker, trainer, advisor, and author who channels her energy into her passion for the power of forward thinking. Anything you want to do is possible, and Fotini is here to help you get there. Welcome, Fotini. Thank you for having me. Great. Um, so you've clearly been guided by your passion and sort of inner calling your whole life. Could you tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got to where you are today? Uh, I like to tell people that it was axoperpidental. Um, oh, dental. I love that. <laughs> so for me, I mean, I never, no one intends, I think when they're little to become a negotiation consultant, but it was more of a, I started in family business. I negotiated my way out of the house. <laughs> I negotiated my <laughs> way out of the business. And when I did my, uh, my MBA in organization behavior, it was because I just thought, okay, well, no matter what I'm going to do in life, people is going to be the common denominator. So mm. if I can understand people and the study of people, then I'm sure that'll be helpful in whatever field that I choose. And so I spent some time in manufacturing, working for companies like L'Oreal, and then I moved into the food industry for a bit. And then it was, and I was negotiating with Walmart on a daily basis. So that was, you know, mm, that's that a interesting. tough one. <laughs> yeah, it was like training, hit the ground running, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And, uh, and then it was a training company who came in and went, you should really be doing what we do. Wow. And I was like, yeah, someday when I've got more experience. And I just kept my mind open to it. So it took them a year to convince me um, to come on board. And then when I did, I was still in my 20s. I was crisscrossing the globe teaching everybody from junior account managers to you know, CEOs of billion dollar oil and gas companies how to, on how to be more effective negotiators. And then it was, okay, it's great that you trained our team, but we have a hundred million on the line or we have a billion on the line. What do we do? What do we say? And so I started mm -hmm. a consulting practice within the business where I was, you know, helping them through their live ongoing negotiations. And that was loads of fun for me. Yeah. Um, and then when I quit my job, it was, um, you know, we were, we were having a shift in values. We were going in different directions and the clients who went, well, so when are you going to come back and work with us? And I said, well, I don't work for that anymore. And they said, well, we didn't hire the company. We hired Fotini. So, wow. okay, I guess, because my clients would be also become friends. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll just do this a favor for you until I have to get a real job. And I think today is the seventh anniversary that I, that I did it. So it was just one thing after another. And then it was like, they tapped me on the shoulder and went, can you come speak to our team at our national sales meeting? Can you come speak to our women's group? Can you come speak at this thing? And then it was, oh, hey, you have a cool profile. And I got tapped by my alma mater at Schulich and they went, would you like to come back and teach MBA students at MBA negotiations? And I was like, Love okay. <laughs> uh, and then Harper Collins tapped me on the shoulder and they went, hey, we think you have a book in you. And I went, why? 
um, there's like a million different books on negotiation already. And they said, we just think you have an interesting voice and you package things up in a way that people find appealing and easy to consume. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all of these things just kind of kept snowballing one after the wow. other. So you, when you put value out into the universe, when you just try to help people, I do believe that it comes back to you. And when you're open and when you say yes to things, pretty amazing stuff can happen. Um, yeah. so that's, that's been the, the journey, the accidental journey. I love the accidental purple journey. <laughs> Did I say that right? I don't even know. Um, so it sounds like you were just saying, not just, but you had the courage to say yes to a lot of things that you were sort of like, why me and why would that happen? And you just didn't question it and, and kept going. And that's an, an amazing snowball effect that was happening. Yeah, I mean, you, you do have to be open to stuff for sure. Because mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of, I got a lot of eyes going, what are you nuts? You're going to leave a, a cushy nine to five and mm. you're going to travel the world and you're going to do what, consulting. What does that even mean? What kind of a yes. job is that? Yes. Um, so you, I got a few of those, but then I got a lot more people who were going, oh, wow, I wish I could have done that. I wish I could step away from, you know, the, the comfortable, dependable type of job. So I, for me, I was also fortunate I didn't have any dependents. So there was very low risk to me doing that kind of thing. Um, but I, I always looked at it as, hey, you know what? Worst case scenario, if this doesn't turn out, I will have spent a few months or even a few years building an interesting network, learning a really great skill that's transferable. So as long as you can find a way to make it useful as a step on your next part of your journey, and you can be open to those types of opportunities, then I think amazing things can happen. And that's the forward thinking piece that you're very passionate about is thinking a couple of steps ahead of where you are today. How did you get to that? Like if all of these things are going on. We're in a global pandemic right now and everyone's sort of very worried about the immediate now short-term things that are going on. How do you take a step back and always look at that forward view and that longer term? I don't know how it originated. I mean, part of my brain goes back to, I was in a pretty terrible car accident um, in my twenties and Mm -hmm. I just remember I was off work for six months and then I was working part-time slowly integrating back because I just couldn't sit in a chair long enough to, to do anything else. Yeah. And I remember getting up every day and going to the mall to walk because I just needed to either walk or lie down. There was no in-between for me. Right. And uh, I remember telling somebody, you know, I walked here today and I walked there today. And they went, oh, wow, you have such a great attitude. I'd be so upset if I couldn't work and if I couldn't do that. And I went, well, I, I can laugh about it or I can cry about it. And I'm really, right. I'm I don't want to spend my time crying about it. That just doesn't seem very productive. Yeah. And granted, you will ha- we have to give ourselves some self-compassion when awful things happen. And the pandemic has been awful for a lot of people. But mm-hmm. when I think about that time in my life, it was very parallel to what's going on right now. And my attitude has always been, okay, yeah, there's some setbacks sometimes. But I think of the analogy of like pulling the arrow back, right? So if you want an arrow to launch forward, mm. you pull it back. You got to do the work. Oh, I and love that. Yeah. That in the short term, you could really launch forward. So even when I'm working with clients on their high stakes negotiations, we spend that time that they find exhausting, sitting in a boardroom together, plotting out stuff, spending so much time to prepare, but it's going to launch them forward so much by thinking it through, by pausing to reflect, by, by plotting out and strategizing instead of just trying to get caught up in the short term, like, what do I do in the moment? What's the Band-Aid solution for right now? Um, I'm not about Band-Aid solutions. I'm always trying to think, okay, what is, how do I fix this to make sure this doesn't happen again? Right. How do I make sure I get the most out of this time? So it's very hard to always be in that mindset. And I'm not saying I'm perfect at it, but by thinking, okay, what's the long game? Then I can be a little bit more focused on that versus getting caught up in the anxiety and the stress of the moment. 
I love that analogy of pulling the arrow back before you release it, because if you just pull it back a little bit, like the power comes in really pulling it back as far as you can take it um, and truly launching for the long term. So I love that. Um, how do you what's the first step that you take in terms of your preparation? So you're getting ready for a big negotiation. What's the first step that you take to get ready? Well, the first thing is to figure out what do you want what do you need mm. to get out of this? What's the objective? You know, and mm. that can be for a high stakes negotiation. It could be for a text exchange with someone. Like, what do I want to get out of this conversation with someone? Why am I writing to them right now? Or right. why am I walking into that car dealership? Or why am I going for this job? What is it that I need in order to make me happy? So understanding and prioritizing and focusing on that and then going, okay, now that I've got that out of the way, mm-hmm. now what are they thinking? Who am I Mm -hmm. dealing with right now? So it really has to be both of those. You can't focus on one and forget the other, because if you're not thinking about the other party's perspective, then it's going to be really hard to find a route that's going to get you both to a place where they're going to say yes, because they are either an obstacle or they're going to be somebody who helps you on that path. So I get around the obstacle or you have to find a way to join them to get to a path together. So it's understanding both of those things. And I think that that, most people focus on one or the other. If you're a people pleaser, you're focusing on the other person way too much and you're forgetting yes. losing sight of what it is that you want. If you are somebody who's who, who's so determined and so self-focused that you only think about what you want, it's going to be a much harder journey because you haven't considered what the other party is going through and what they're thinking and so on. So yeah. it's balancing those two things that is the very first step in this process. And that's um, that's so powerful, I think, to know which one of those you skew sort of more towards. And I think for myself, the people pleasing side, I've had to try and tone down a lot, a lot, a lot, because I find I lose myself when I'm constantly worried about what everybody wants and what everyone's thinking. So what's your best advice for, I guess, both extremes? So the people pleasers out there and those that are sort of not too conscious about what's going on with others. So So I I have a little exercise that I included in my book and I do it in a lot of the keynote presentations that when I'm, when I'm talking to folks to help you Mm -hmm. figure out which, which is your autopilot zone, which one. Got it. Okay. And when they do the one thing I say to those, to those who are in the camp of, Hey, I'm self-focused. I need to, I'm thinking about my objectives. Right. It's, I need you to pause to think about what are they thinking? Mm -hmm. What is valuable to them? How do you, how do you pause to go? Who am I dealing with right now? If you are in the other side, if you're the person who's constantly pleasing others, it's making sure that you don't become a victim of your own empathy and asking the question, what can they afford to do for me? And I speak to a Mm. lot where people fall into this ladder camp. So I keep repeating that question over. What can they afford to do do for me? So first camp is what's in it for them. Second camp is what can they afford to do for me? Right. That is, that's really interesting because when you talk about the empathy that, you know, a lot of women will sort of skew towards, and I'm not generalizing, but I am towards the people pleasing side, because that's how we're sort of raised to be in many, uh, many cultures. So what can they afford to do for me? Just putting in that, what can they afford to do allows you to be that empathetic person and and that sort of um, caregiver type, I guess, <laughs> while still considering yourself. And I think that's brilliant. And, and I, I've been very intentional about that language because mm-hmm. so many people are going, but I, I, what if, you know, I don't want to bankrupt them. I don't want them to think I'm greedy. I don't want this. Right. You are not a bad person for asking, 
what can they afford to do for me? You're not asking me. them yeah. to go into bankruptcy. You're not asking yes. them to go into something they can't afford to do for you. So mm-hmm. it's within, all within the realm of possibility. And if they say no, that's okay too. But it's, it's are you even trying it? Or are you assuming that they can't? Right. Um, so I, I'm not asking people to push people to the brink of, of disaster. It's what's within their, their ability, what's within their, their realm of possibility, that affordability, that, that yeah. question is intentionally worded that way. I think it's brilliant. I'm like, well done. <laughs> I think that's really <laughs> profound. On the other side of that, like what they can afford, how do you help people understand like their worth and what they're bringing to the table? It's a really tough one. I mean, I just mm-hmm. had a conversation yesterday with a group of students because I love speaking to students. Yeah. Part of my mission is to close the gender gap before it even starts. So speaking to in school and about to negotiate their first job offers is really important. Mm-hmm. And too often I get, I get women coming to see me during my office hours. Um, and it's not just women, but during my office hours, it's almost entirely women, but yeah. there are folks there, um, who fall into different categories and who also struggle with this. But sure. the, the issue is they go, well, what if they go to the next person on the list? You know, mm-hmm. what if they send the offer? Yeah. And I have to remind them and go, how did you get to the top of the list? If there's 500 <laughs> people waiting for this job, why did they choose you? You. They chose yeah. you for a reason. You bring yeah. a certain set of skills, a certain experience, a certain characteristic of some kind that they are seeking. So I need you to recognize that. I need you to remind yourself and potentially them of yeah. the fact that they chose you for a reason. You are number one on that list for a reason. So regardless of all the other people that are behind you, you got there for a reason. And sometimes people just need that little reminder. Got it. Yeah. I love that. There's a reason that you are in the position that you're in. What about when um, you're not in that position? So a lot of times we have to apply for jobs, especially when we're first starting out, have to apply for a ton of jobs, have to get used to rejection, have to do all of those things. How do we still find our worth and our value in that scenario? Um, this is going to be really interesting, but I have a good friend who is a matchmaker and (laughs) she's always giving relationship advice. And so big complaints is a lot of people get dating fatigue, especially these days on dating apps and things like Mm -hmm. that. And, and it's very hard. You can't go into a dating scenario with a bad attitude. You can't go in going, Oh, I have another date. If you go in with that attitude, you are foreshadowing exactly what's going to happen because guess what? Your brain will follow. Your behaviors will follow all of that stuff too. So if you're Mm -hmm. not looking forward to it, you are going to create a circumstance that is going to be something to not look forward to. Um, And the same is true of everything else. And so her attitude is, you know, if you had a bad date, then it's like, great, I'm one step closer to my person. Right. I'm one step closer to finding my person. And if you didn't get that job, if you didn't get that opportunity, well, you know what? You learned something that's going to get you one step closer to achieving what you want. Even in all of those moments, you're going to be able to reflect back and go, okay, well, that interview didn't go well because of this. Or, you know, I learned that this value system just doesn't work for me. Um, And so you now take that as a stepping stone, as a learning opportunity to find out how do I now refine my search? What do I do to improve my performance? so that the next time the really great one comes along mm-hmm. you know, ready for it and you yeah, really have to ready. treat that as a as a stepping stone to something better yeah and what would you say to someone who's sort of been in that battle for a long time and still trying their best to sort of maintain that um you know it's one step closer it's one step closer it's one step closer like how do how do people break that pattern 
I think sometimes it requires a, a timeout. So hmm, is, it, is, it another, yeah. is it another opportunity to pull the arrow back? Is it another opportunity to go, am I chasing the right opportunities right now? Right. What do I yeah. need to do? Is this truly a match for us? Do I need to you know, work on something? Do I need to work on myself? Do I need to work on my priorities? Do I need to work on my search abilities? What mm. do I need to rejig in this formula for success? in order to, to move ahead rather than, you know, sometimes it's the, the old adage of um, you can't keep doing the same thing and expect different results. Yeah. So that's the it, definition of insanity, I believe. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So is it, is it time for me to, to regroup and find a new formula for success? Mm. Um, mm. You know, and again, I'm going to come up the, the, the parallels of the dating world. Some people are chasing, you know, height. Some people are chasing education. Some people are chasing some of the wrong things. So is it yeah. time to regroup and go, what truly are my priorities and what am I looking for here in the, yeah. it, whether you're chasing a promotion or a new job or some kind of opportunity, maybe you're shopping a book around or something like that. Yes. Who are the people that you're supposed to be chasing? Are you chasing the right type of organization or the right type of values? Is it a match? Do you need to work on yourself or do you need to work on your search? One of those two things is going to have to change if you want to get different results. I love that because it all kind of circles back to understanding who you are, what your values are, and does everything that's going on align with those values at the end of the day. And yeah. I, I find it fascinating because we, on this podcast, we obviously address a whole lot of different topics and scenarios and almost all of it, if not all of it comes back to understanding who you are and your, who you are, what your values are, and then how do you interact with the world around you based on on that sort of center. Yeah. And, the, and, the, and it, there's no shame in that changing for you. No, right? no, so it's not a stagnant. I yeah. spent a lot of years with certain companies. Like, I mean, I had a full career before I came, before I decided to go off on my own. And, you know, yeah. I can think of a couple different companies where I spent five years with them. And the first few years were amazing. And I left out of bed every day and I was excited about going to work. And the last couple of years, I was like, this is not exciting me anymore. This is causing me more stress than it is joy. Right. So something changed, whether I changed or they changed, the values were shifting. And that's when it was time to regroup and go, I need something to change, whether it's yes. me or whether it's circumstances, something's got to give here. And so yes. you need to sometimes take that time out, that pause and reevaluate, you know, pull the arrow back, do the work so that you mm -hmm. can launch forward. I love that. What for you was the biggest difference, like on the professional side, biggest difference between sort of a corporate career versus uh, being an entrepreneur and running your own business? Uh, um, I, don't, I have a love hate with both. So right <laughs> now, I, I never, I never intended to go into self-employment. I grew up in a family who was always self-employed. So it meant, you know, holiday weekends and things like that. We had tourist businesses when I grew up, I grew up in Niagara. Oh, wow. So every, every long weekend yeah. was an excuse to work. Yeah. So for me, I, I, what I learned was I, I was going to work after school instead of home. Like there was no home after school. I would go sit in the back office of a kitchen of a restaurant and right. do my home there. So for me, I grew up going, God, self-employment feels awful. This sucks. Like I want oh, to be nine to five and go home. And yeah. so I went into the corporate world and then I found myself working really hard for someone yes. else. Yes. And it was cool at first because there's a lot of camaraderie around that. There's a bond when like, I remember working at L'Oreal, my first job after my MBA and the, and I'd still very good friends with the folks that I started working there with because sure. you're bonding over that. Yeah. 14 hour days when you're getting yes. paid 
eight of you're them. You're fighting a battle together. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're in the 100%. trenches together. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there, there's that camaraderie that I really love. And then yeah. at some point you go, wait a second, I'm working my butt off and I'm going all of these hours to put more money in someone. I remember sitting there looking at the CEO's life at some point at one of the organizations I worked in. I went, why don't I have an Aston Martin? Why don't I have all of these? Why do I have to put money in someone else's pocket? Yeah. Um, there, there's that battle. But when I got into self-employment again, I expected it to, de- to be temporary. I didn't expect it to, to be as great as it turned out to be. Mm-hmm. But there's, there's an instability about it that is really daunting for a lot of people. So it is this roller coaster. It is this up and down. Like I burnt out my very first year of self-employment because I kept saying yes to everything. Because I was like, I don't know where tomorrow's mortgage payment's going to come. So mm. get all the business wallets coming at me. And I said yes to way too much. And so it took me a long time. I'm still dealing with the burnout seven years later later I'm still trying to wow. find and, yeah. and trying to find the balance of when when do you bring in an admin for this when do you bring in an external partner for that when do you bring in a contractor for this thing and, mm-hmm. and figuring that out is really exhausting there's so many rewards that come along with it but that for me I'm I'm not a risk taker I'm not that person so yeah. being it is a risk that some people just can't stomach um, yeah. some people stability and so on of a nine to five and all of that. I say nine to five. In those They're things. never nine to five. That stability reads differently for some people than others. So for me, I, I see the both sides of it because there's no there's no political bureaucracy that I have to deal with because I'm me. I'm the world's greatest boss. And if You're I'm not the boss, the boss, yeah. Me. Mm. Um, but yeah. I also miss the camaraderie that comes along with working together. So I find other ways to do it. I find, you know, women's groups that I like to be a part of. I find, oh, I, love that. I find joy in my clients and build real, deeper relationships than the average consultant would, you know, you find ways to compensate for the things that are missing, but yeah. it really is this love hate with both of them. I miss some grass is always greener in some sense, but for yeah. me, it's not green enough to leave what I've got going on right now. Uh, green enough to leave what you've got. I like that green enough. Um, and that's part of the adventure of life, right? Like taking, you said you're not a risk taker, but you are taking a little bit of a risk. If it's, Calculated risk. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're like, I pulled the arrow back enough that I can, the trajectory is good. <laughs> so you talked a little bit about burnout there. How do you find time for rest and recharging in your life? I, it's not the time that's the problem quite so much. Mm -hmm. I think we all have time. The question is how do you use it? And what is, is, is that time truly recharging you? Um, So for me, I mean, I have a lot more time in the pandemic than I've ever had before because the time I used to be running through airports and things like that, I'm Mm. not at home. So many people gain two hours or more to their day because they're not commutes. And so we have the time it's how do we use it right mm. now all my brain is capable of doing is is binging a netflix show pre-pandemic <laughs> yeah. i never i never oh, watched exactly the same vote i'm like i never watched tv before the pandemic ne- i mean never. i don't even have my own accounts to these things yeah. I use my sisters and my friends because i'm like i'm not gonna buy an account i'm never gonna use um, so so for me right now, all my brain can handle is brain candy. Like I can't even handle a, a thriller TV show. I'm watching comedy yes, <laughs> you know, brain candy, candy only. Uh, yes. it's, for me, it's, it's going for walks and getting outside. I notice yes. a difference when I'm not and in, in Canada and being indoors in the winter is awful. I never used to spend mm-hmm. time in Canada mm-hmm. because I got to travel. Yeah. Um, pre-pandemic, my self-care was travel. It was making sure I was on a beach X number yes. of days. It was yes. making sure 
I love airports, even though for some people they're horrible, even when they're in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, there's an excitement to me about that. So yes. I'm meeting, it, it's been tough to find what are those balances for me. And mm. I find sometimes I almost, I overcompensate too much with let's call it the Netflix binging. And yes. I decide the stuff that I know is really good for me that once upon a time I enjoyed. So right. you know, things like Pilates, um, once, once you get out of, once I get out of the rhythm of Pilates, it takes a few weeks to build back up the strength that I had before Yes, to get back so, to the level. Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. um, so you get, you get it right. So yeah, but, totally get it myself through those two weeks. I'm going to enjoy it again. Cause when else yes. do you take power to breathe and work mm-hmm. on your, um, yes. you know, these are a couple of things for me that are really important. I remember at some point when I was going through my worst burnout, when I was traveling, when I was on the road all the time, I made a commitment to myself that every day I was in Toronto, because it wasn't every day that I was in Toronto, yes. I was going to go to a, a live Pilates class. And so Love I was religiously there every Saturday and Sunday and occasionally one day during the week. And mm-hmm. it was the best thing I ever did for my mental health. And it helped me survive some very difficult circumstances at work. So That's there's awesome. the, it's those things. It's how am I going to use the the time best because the time exists uh, yeah. even if you have I, I and I try to empathize with those who have children and all that kind of stuff oh my gosh yeah you're going to have some time in the day the mm-hmm. question is are you going to use it in a way that is going to serve you best or that is going to serve you best for right now because everybody has that you know there's that revenge scrolling that we do it's like I should go to sleep right now but I'd rather be I need that time to myself on my phone phone um, yeah. you know I have that time to go to bed but I don't want to so mm-hmm. and which of these choices is going to be best for me in terms of my self-care and sometimes yeah. we make great ones and sometimes we make not so great ones and that's that it's compassion for those not so great choices too that's important yeah and giving your yes that self-compassion and forgiveness and sometimes when I spend hours watching Netflix I'm like god that was a waste of time but I'm like pause no that's what your brain actually needed brain candy as you put it um <laughs> that I think Allowing us time and space to do that as well, to be lazy, to just stop is so important in everyone's lives. Um, It's funny to me. I I talked to a therapist recently who said, I want you to do something for yourself every day. I'm like, I do. Like I take baths every day. (laughs) But after that conversation, um, it's about being intentional about doing it. So I did it. I left the guilt behind instead of going to take mm. that bath and saying, I should have been working on that project. It's no, I need yes. this time. So sometimes yeah. it's not about the time. It's about your attitude towards the time. So I'm going to do this guilt-free and that all of a sudden releases so much stress from your body. That I think is so important for so many of us to be guilt-free, to let go of that guilt. How did you, how do you do that? Like that guilt comes in. I should, I should, I should, I should, I should be doing X, Y, Z instead of whatever it is I want to do right now. How do you release that? A lot of therapy. Um. Yeah, <laughs> I love therapy too. I think it's so important, huge advocate of it. But anyway, how do you do it? <laughs> I think for me now, when I think back to some of the best habits that I had, and I try to replicate them now, when, I'm, when you're in the thick of it, it's really hard to pick up on good habits again. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I think about the best habits I had, it was sitting down on a on Sunday night, I'm planning out my time for the week, planning out my self-care time mm. for the week and okay. going, okay, where do I see some potential gaps in the calendar to go? This will be a great night to take a bath. This will be a great time to go to Pilates. This will be a great, instead of making these lists of, I need to go to Pilates five times a week, or I need to take right. 
week. It's going, I'm going to have some flexibility for myself and some forgiveness for myself. And rather than having this unrealistic goal, it's going, where does this actually fit? What's the realistic goal for this particular week? For this week, this day. Yeah. Yeah. And so being able to look at that and go, despite whatever is going to happen, I'm going to, I know Thursday night, I have no extracurriculars. I have no other meetings. I have nobody, no social engagements or whatever it is. That's going to be time to do it free. And if something happens, something changes, I'm not going to beat myself up about it. I can see in the calendar, there's a Saturday morning coming up. So if that doesn't work out, I have a backup plan for that. But Mm. I think for me, it was taking that pause on Sunday nights to look at this on what's going on on the horizon and how do I map that out? Um, I I feel like for me, the the theme of pausing is a huge one in my Mm. my world. It's the reason, one of the reasons why I actually came up with the title of the book, Say Less, Get More. That say less moment is pausing to reflect on what do I need to do right now? And I'm going to get way more out of this next conversation or this next moment in life. So that pause on a Sunday night to go, what am I going to do to get more out of this week? more more joy, less guilt, and all of that other kind of stuff that comes along with it. But that pause of self-reflection and taking those moments along the way has been the, probably the game changer for me, that pause. And I think I need to build more of those in. But even when I was structuring my book, like I created pause moments at the end of every section of the book to go, Hey, here's what you learned. If you need to take a break, you can come back and just look at this summary so that you can keep going. And in, when I'm doing negotiation strategies with clients, it's taking that pause to go, what do we need to do right now? And even when I'm running a workshop with folks, like they just want to, sometimes we're on a six hour zoom and they just go, wow. no, let's just plow through so we can finish earlier. I'm like, no, we need that time. You need yeah. to go physically stretch your legs, give your brain a break. And you're going to come back to me much more productive versus yes. trying to plow through is actually going to be counterproductive. You're not going to retain that information. So because I know so much about adult learning, because I know all of those things, I apply it in my life and go, where's the pause going to come in? Where's that moment of self-reflection, that self-compassion going to come into the mix and creating more of those timeouts? You know, think about children. When children are acting up, a very common tool, a technique is to give them a timeout. Timeout, yeah. That's their opportunity to cool off. Well, adults need to give themselves those same timeouts from time to time. And not as a punishment, but almost as a reward. <laughs> like it's yeah. A, yeah, it's an important part of what we do. Um, a lot there that, that I uh, kind of want to unpack. So as we're moving through sort of, you know, this whole life journey, there's components and aspects to life. How do you, how do you make sure that we're prioritizing that like you talk a lot about planning so I think back to actually pre-pandemic when I was going to the office I would and it sounds crazy and anal but I would plan my look at the weather plan my outfits that I was going to wear to work for the week and just steam them hang them everything was ready to go so that was sort of one less thing I had to think about during the day so how do you actually prioritize taking the time to plan and do those little things. A lot of people do food prep for the week to like take one decision out of the mix for your crazy, insane life. Oh, that's a hard one. I'm not great at it, um, no. but, but I'm sort of like you. So like, I remember when I was on the road yeah. pre, before Instagram was a thing and people were taking pictures of me at work. 
<laughs> I would have my Monday, my Tuesday, my Wednesday, my Thursday, my Friday outfit. And then I'd come yes. home, I'd throw them all in the laundry or dry yes. cleaning. And then I'd pack exactly the same stuff. It's one less decision out of the mix. So there's a reason Perfect. why like yeah. the Zuckerbergs and the Steve Jobs yes. and all that kind of stuff wore the black turtleneck and, and didn't have to make that decision. So the fewer decisions I have to make, the better. I yes. eat the same foods every day because that's just more decision-making fatigue I don't want to deal with. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's even when I was on the road, it was choosing, um, when I'd be at conference centers and stuff, it was choosing my breakfast, lunch, and dinner in the morning when I had more mental, mental will than at night when I'm tired, it's been a long day and I'm going to choose the French Mm. fries or something like that. So it's, it's being being (laughs) aware of my energy levels to do that type of stuff. So I make the best decisions for myself when I have the greatest amount of energy. So Mm -hmm. again, that Sunday night when I'm recharging, I make better decisions than when I'm, you know, Monday night exhausted looking into the week. So I, for me, I also really learned about what are, where are my peaks and valleys in terms of energy and one of the best decisions to, to do those types of things. Like I know I am, you know, we talked about when to schedule this, this thing. Like I know my brain's going to shut down after 8 PM. It's not a good time. It's not going to be. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So you're not going to get the best out of me then it's, it's understanding those things and making decisions accordingly that I think are, have been, have been most helpful to me. I wish I had better tips and tricks for you, but no, that was, that's that was, perfect. You know what? I think that's probably the best tip because I find people try to look for these to do lists, checklists, like boom, 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 boom. My life is going to be perfect. But everyone is so unique that the advice in terms of understanding your own energy levels circles us back to knowing yourself understanding who you are, understanding your values, understanding your energy level, and your checklist is yours uniquely, like a fingerprint. It's just yours uniquely unto yourself. And only you can tell you what that list is going to be or how that's going to work out for you. So I actually love that advice. Um, I think it was very helpful. I'm going to switch a little bit. So we we've talked a lot about understanding ourselves and our internally what's going on in our values and what we need, which is, I think the very first step and super important, obviously the start of everything, but you are obviously exceptionally good at reading other people. How do you start to do that? And if someone's not aware and not good at that, what's the first step they can take to sort of start being aware of others and what their needs are? So that really comes back to this whole pause button moment too. Mm -hmm. I think one of the reasons why we are, why we miss signals that other people are giving us is because very commonly um, we're, we're thinking about what am I going to say? What am I going to say? What am I going to say? You know, people are talking and you're trying to think of what is the intelligent thing that I'm going to say next? How am I not going to sound? But if you can pause that in your brain to go, what are they saying right now? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I give some of my students a silly exercise, like to have a conversation with someone and you're going to have to make sure that you start your next sentence with the very last sense, the last letter of their last sentence. So if they're oh, still wow. <laughs> listen the whole way through, you have to listen to that last letter. Otherwise you're not going to be able to complete the exercise. Well, then you have to now listen. I'm forcing you to engage in listening in a new way. Yeah. But being able to take that attention off of what am I going to say next 
and what are they saying right now? That's the very first step in making sure that you can become a better listener. There's other ways to, I mean, even when, when you think about when most of us were students, when we were students, we were likely taking notes a lot in lectures. Mm-hmm. For me, I took notes so much that when my, if my peers asked me, cause I really throw notes. If my peers asked me, can I borrow your notes? I missed that class or I didn't, I didn't grab everything. I'd hand them the notes. I wouldn't even need them back because it was, you I was, were it was so now intentive. Yeah, it was now imprinted on my brain just from the act of physical writing. So when I'm on the phone with a new client, when I'm sitting in a meeting and listening to people tell me information that I'm going to need for their, you know, to help them, I'm constantly taking notes, not only because... I'm not going to remember everything. So I want to be able to have somebody to look back on. Like I had a, I had a meeting on Monday with a new client. I'm meeting him next Monday. I was fully engaged in that meeting with him, but no one's brain is prepared to remember everything. Retain everything that you hear. No. So I was writing stuff down. And when I look at my notes, I'm like, oh yeah, that conversation happened. And that conversation happened. What did we say about that again? I wrote it down. So being able to, to jot down notes is another really important tool to be able to, to listen attentively to what people are saying. Because yeah. I know from research on, on pedagogy in, in terms of how people learn, um, just the act of, and, and I would say physically writing notes, not typing them makes a world of difference. I was, I, I was about to ask you that question because I'm a bit old school and I like to write. More recently I've started typing, but now people are just recording things yeah. and, and listening again. Like there's, yeah. there's value to that. If you are going to go listen to it, great. If you're going to go back and listen to the recording, there's absolutely mm-hmm. value in that. But if you're not yeah. going to do that, that's a complete waste of time. Right. Because what happens is the act of physically writing it down means your brain is processing it. Then it's translating it into shorthand because you're, there's right. no way your hand can keep up with nope. every, every single word. But we can type a lot faster. That's true. We can yeah. write. So mm-hmm. when we type a lot faster it's almost like we go into autopilot mode. So we don't actually have that second impression where now my brain has to synthesize it and translate it into shorthand. And that physical imprint, that kinesiology, um, writing it down and having that feeling, that kinesthetic feeling Mm. of writing it on paper is another sense that you're you're engaging to help you to remember. So you've got the auditory bit because you're Uh. listening. Yeah. Then you've got the synthesizing in your brain. Then you've got the kinesthetic of physically writing it down. Mm-hmm. When you're doing the typing, you may have, I don't know, maybe you have the kinesthetic of physically typing, but you also have the visual when you're writing it down and going, here's where it was on the page. Right. Here's where it was in the book, in my notebook. I can tell it was at the beginning or the end of my notebook. You yeah. know, those are the things that I, I can imprint onto my brain. So I'm, I'm engaging more senses, which means I'm more likely to remember it by physically mm. writing so that's, that's a no-brainer tool when you're trying to recall stuff, when you're trying to right. learn, when you're trying to actively listen, though, that, again, physical act of writing or even typing is going to be something that's going to keep you focused on the individual versus distracting you, like, what am I going to say next? Yeah. Or, yeah. or it's very easy, even when you're jotting down, even if you're not writing down what they're saying, if something pops into your head and you're tempted to interrupt them and or get distracted, oh, I really want to ask this question, write the question down so that mm. you can park it and then refocus on yes. who it is that you're talking to right now. Yes. That, that to me is training yourself to really pay attention to people will help you to use that skill and in so many more circumstances. So mm-hmm. even if it's paying attention to your kid, if you're getting, if you're watching a toddler have a meltdown, you can now pay attention to what were the signals for some of those meltdowns? What were the circumstances, the context? What was their body language right before they yeah. went into 
and I focus on that particular individual so I can spot some of those patterns for the next time around. Um, gotcha. Those are some of the things that you really need to, to be focused and be present in order to do that. But if you're so distracted by other things going on in your head, then mm-hmm. that's what you really have to do. Occasionally, a thought's going to pop into my head. I'm like, oh, yeah, I need to talk to this person about that email. So just, just write it down. It yeah. Put it away yeah. and refocus on who it is that I'm dealing with right now. Yeah. That's great. And so as we're going through this pandemic, everyone's gone virtual everything. I mean, we're doing this podcast virtually as well. Um, One of the most important things I always found about paying attention to other people is body language. How do you do that on a screen? Like, how do you start to, (laughs) all you can see is their face. (laughs) So how do you pick up on that? So energy feels different through a screen than it does in, in person. Yeah. I mean, obviously we don't have the handshake. We don't have that physical touch between people. So we need to compensate in some way. Right. The smile on the screen is good. You're going to have to, you're, you're going to have to give more virtually than you would in person. They might notice yeah. some tease in person that they won't on the screen, but there's right. even little things to do. Like right now I'm sitting in my living room because it's more comfortable for me at eight in the morning sure. versus lights up studio (laughs) but I'm on my laptop and I prop my laptop up on books because I want to be at its level yeah so there's not a huge gap of space above my head and you're not staring up my nose and you're not looking (laughs) at me you know it's a very intentional setup that I have here so and it's a very comfortable environment that you see me in versus a very Mm -hmm. rigid one that we're in right now other people will have you know a blank wall behind them because the rest of their house is a mess and that's cool too so it's being intentional about those things you know when I'm in my office or in my studio you might see a lot of books behind me that sends a subconscious message that I am well read Um, you know (laughs) intentional things that you want to have behind you or that things that you want to mute behind you so that they're not distractions. Sure. Taking that into account is one thing, your body language and how you sit up and where you fit physically on the screen. Am I centered? Am I, you know, close to the top? Are they seeing my hands? Are they not seeing my hands? Because there's also when we are physically, when we are non-verbally engaging with people, our hand, if our hands are, um, you know, crossed in front of our shoulders, closed, yeah, right. It, it, you, you might not be, you, you might not mean to be closed. It might just be, this is a super comfortable, comfortable. position for me. But yeah. the perception is that at a subconscious level, I'm reading this as potentially closed. So mm-hmm. when we have our hands open and our palms up, that signals that I'm open and I'm more trustworthy. So do you right. want I am somebody who talks with my hands. This Me is too. What I, do. I don't know if you notice, but I do yeah. this all the time. <laughs> I'm a vegetarian woman. This is how I function. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So the, those are some of the things that you can do to signal to folks. It's that eye contact. So right now I have your image as close as possible to my camera so that I'm yes. staring at you versus staring down at the bottom of the screen, which looks really distracting. It looks like a, if I, if my co- eye contact is looking at another monitor or something like that away from the camera, right. you, at a subconscious level, you might be going, why isn't she paying attention to me? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so it's, it's, what can we do to, to work around some of the obstacles and use them to our advantage? So staring into the camera as much as possible, making mm. sure that we are eye level with that camera, making sure that we're also well lit, that we're not hiding in the shadows. And it's like, what did you say? I can't really read right. Can't see your face. There's just, yeah. There's so many subconscious messages that come across and then adding that energy. But I think one of the most important things is you know, if we were doing this live and in an office, mm-hmm. I'd show up to the office, you would greet me, we'd probably have a handshake of some kind. Yes. Then you'd probably ask me if I want a glass of water or coffee. We'd have mm-hmm. a little walk before we get to our meeting room and so on. During all of those little interludes, we would be having some chit chat. 
We would be having a, how was your commute to get here? How was your Monday? How is, you know, all of those, those little bits and pieces where we have the chance to warm each other up and get to know each other, perhaps in some of those cordial moments. Those are the things that we need to build into our virtual meetings as well. Because the temptation is, okay, this meeting started at eight o'clock. Let's jump straight in. Build right. in that five minutes of water cooler time of the walk to the boardroom or whatever it is to go, hey, how are you? Good morning. So nice to see you. You know, those little things go a really long way, even in this virtual space. And so when you're having a big team meeting, it's taking that time that you would, you know, you know, I, I don't know, at the coffee table or at, when you're getting a donut or whatever you're doing in the office before mm -hmm. the meeting starts. We build that stuff in when we're on our way to a meeting room or, you know, when we get there. But when we're in this virtual world, it's almost like we have this expectation the camera's on and therefore now we're straight down to business. Straight into business. Like, yeah. 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 Which in, in an in-person scenario, you would never do. Like just come in, sit down, go. Yeah. It would that be would weird. never happen. You walk through the door. It's like, okay, let's get started right now. Yeah. You'd be like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> let's do that then. Because <laughs> I think it's humans, that personal interaction and that relationship is what everyone is looking for. Um, and at the end of the day, we all want to know that, that we're valued somehow. I think yeah. that's human nature. Yeah. So. Absolutely. And that's what you've been talking about this whole time is like understanding your own value, understanding the value of what the other person can afford to give you. That was my big learning today. What can the other party afford to give you? Um, that was brilliant. Uh, so out there, we have listeners of all ages, all, all genders. I mean, mostly women, but all genders. Um, what would you say to people who are just starting out in their careers versus someone who is, um, I guess, a little bit further along their journey and, and maybe looking to make a change or, or do something different? Oh, wow. Um, so I don't think it, none of the advice that I give tends to be only for one category of people. Sometimes Beautiful. I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes I give advice to folks who go, oh, I wish I had learned that earlier. And that's great. But the truth of the matter is, I'd say it's that pause moment that people give me the feedback about that is their most valuable takeaway. And in fact, when I'm, when I'm doing live events, I actually created these little pause buttons, these little cards that oh, those are cute. <laughs> they're on receipt and it says at the very bottom, it says use frequently in moments of stress. Love, so, love. Um, when you are feeling stressed, when you are feeling intimidated, when you are feeling nervous, when you are feeling any of those things that are going to cause your brain to go into fight or flight mode, it's just take that mental pause to go, okay, I can do this. I prepared for this. Just take a meditative breath, breathe in for four, hold for six and out for eight. And yes. I can guarantee you it's that say less, get more moments, say less for a second and take that meditative breath, say less and maybe do a positive mantra for yourself and tell mm -hmm. yourself that you are enough and you've got this. Um, that moment of clarity that you are gifting yourself is going to pay off in spades. It's that pulling the arrow back moment that you're giving yourself so that you can launch forward versus just trying yes. to plow through. Um, so it's that pause moment in those moments of stress that is gonna be your most valuable tool in whatever circumstance you face. I absolutely love that. And I think that is the lesson of the day, to be honest, like let's, I'll take a pause before we start our day potentially. Um, and thank you. This has been, I have learned an incredible amount uh, talking to you today. So thank you so much. Any closing words or any other words of advice you want to share with our listeners before we wrap up for today? 
Yeah, I'd say find yourself a community. So for me, I, you know, I'm on, I'm on Instagram all the time giving advice and I, and I save stuff in my stories and I open the question box. My DMs are always open for questions and I'm starting a private community for that very reason too, because people want to have others to lean on, to keep them accountable, to support one another. Like when I went into self-employment, I, I was leaning heavily on, on a network of uh, a nonprofit that I work with, that I volunteer with. And those women have been amazing to me and supporting me through. So find that community wherever it is if it's a group on instagram if it's a group on facebook if it's a group in real life of some kind who are who are who's going to keep you accountable who's going to be able to remind you to take that pause um you know people are one of our greatest assets and mm. it doesn't have to be people you've known for a long time complete strangers are finding ways to bond these days thanks to some of the tools that are out there so i encourage yes. folks to stay in touch with me and keep asking questions and uh, and look at some of the stuff that I've already posted out there in the universe, but find your people who are going to help you through those difficult moments. I love that. Find your people. I feel like you're one of my people. I'm like, I know I'm going to buy your book. I'm like, oh, she's on Instagram. I'm going to follow her very shortly because um, I think you're brilliant. And I think your advice is, as you said, universal to everyone out there. So thank you so much. Keep following your passion. Keep doing what you're doing because you were born to do this. And and I thought this was brilliant. So thank you so much for taking the time to share with us. Thank you for your enthusiasm and thank you for the <laughs> conversation. Amazing. <laughs>